Thank you. Very good. Well, I would, for those who, uh, who haven't met me before, my name is Elijah Hall. I'd like to go ahead and introduce my family at this time. So if uh, my wife, Moira, and starting from the oldest going down to the youngest, last but not least, we have Elisha, Jerusha, Jedediah, Israel, and Benjamin. And we're all Americans, but only one of us is Paraguayan, right, Benji? Yeah. Oh, and American. You're American, too. That's, yeah. So we would like to uh, just share with you a song that that is probably familiar to you. Um, If you know it, feel free to join in in whatever language suits you the the best. Um, The song Cornerstone has been a tremendous blessing to us. And I'm just going to shut this off for a minute.
Let's see. There we go. Just going to make myself comfortable up here. I tend to walk all over the place, and Cords and I are not a good combination. Let's go ahead and open a word of prayer. Father, we just give you thanks this evening as we're gathered together. We were together in your presence, Lord. We know that you're with us wherever we go. But as we come together as your people tonight, and we've been before your throne on a number of things, Lord, we just praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And that you delight to take the foolish things of this world and confound the wise You like to take the base things, things that are nothing. You like to use us, Lord, in all of our weakness so that it will be clearly seen who it is that has done such a great thing. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's our joy tonight to be together and to reflect on how great you are, how great you are. In, in our lives, Lord, and not only in my own, but Lord, may this cause each of us tonight to consider the wonderful, wonderful way you have lovingly and graciously led us, each one of us that knows you as Lord and Savior, each one that is your child here tonight, Lord, help this to encourage the saints that we can be an encouragement one to another to praise you in the storm, to rejoice because you are worthy. So, Father, we just ask your blessing in our time tonight. In the name of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I would like, oh, here we go, Elisha, you can help me out. There we go. One less thing for me to keep track of, too. There we go. Now, actually, you may want to point that back back there when you click it. Yeah, we'll see. So, yeah, it's just it's tremendous to be with you guys. I love this verse in Revelation, so well known. Um, but as with every single verse in the scripture, it cannot be repeated enough. And we look at it here just for a moment. It says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we know who that you is that it's referring to. It's referring to the lamb. It's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is worthy. He is the one who has done the work of salvation. He is the one that has made a way between those who were enemies of God that they could be made children of God and brought into a right relationship with Him. And so it's our desire tonight that as we look at some of these pictures and we share a little bit with you um, from our life in Paraguay and, and what the Lord is doing, that we will praise the one who is worthy, who is the Lord Jesus. Here we go. Back one up for me, buddy. There. So just a little, re- just a, going back a little bit, uh, oftentimes uh, we're asked just how it was that the Lord led us to be involved in, in tribal missions and what it was that the Lord used. And I would say for myself, uh, it was certainly, I, I sensed that burden um, at an early age. My parents uh, went through training with New Tribes Mission in the early 90s and served in Papua New Guinea for a couple of years. And, you know, for me, it was a very practical thing. It wasn't the concept of there being people halfway around the world uh, who were isolated and either linguistically, culturally from access to the gospel and to God's word in their language was not a, a difficult concept for me to grasp because... Some of these people were were my best friends in the tribe, you know, and um, so the Lord really used that to even from an early age, just see the need. And I think begin to burden, burden my heart toward this type of type of a work.
And my folks came back from their time in Papua New Guinea because of an emergency, uh, severe emergency medical situation with my dad. And the Lord restored him to, to health. And that's, that's a story in and of itself. But from there, rather than going back to Papua New Guinea, they believed the Lord was leading them to go to Cat Island, Bahamas. And I had the real privilege and joy of working with my mom and dad for six years down in, in Cat Island. And um, just just a real neat, a special uh, memories there of, of the Lord's faithfulness to us and and the unique challenges of, of working at a small orphanage like that um, with taking care of 25 kids. And that's where I met my wife. She came down on a short-term missions trip, one that hasn't ended yet. <laughs> So some of you watch out for those short-term mission trips, okay? Maybe they're not as short-term as you think. We're just tremendously blessed the Lord put us together. And even early on, even before we were married, there was one of the big questions on my heart was to find out if she was willing to do this kind of work. And so at one point, I I asked my, my wife, um, before we were engaged, I asked her, would you be willing to live in a tribe halfway around the world, maybe only see your mom and dad every three or four years, raise your kids in the bush with all the challenges of this kind of missionary work? Because if you're not, I'm the wrong guy for you. I didn't know for sure if this was what the Lord would have. But, yeah, I kind of knew, too. You know, I felt the, <laughs> felt the, the burden of, of the Lord there. And so I figured it was, it was best, best to see where she was at. And, and she was. She was uh, happy, happily uh, embraced the concept of, of doing this and, and, believe, and said that she would be more than glad to, to serve the Lord this way if that's how he led so we just praise the Lord for, for unity. And that's a, a little word of encouragement there on the side. I see there's a lot of young people here. So a little encouragement on the side. Seek God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom first. I had an uncle who said to me, you know, if you keep staying down there working at the orphanage, how do you think you're ever going to find a good wife? I mean, there's only 1,300 people on the island of Cat. And uh, you really should go to Bible school. You should do this. You should do that. Come back to some of these youth retreats. And I'm a social guy. I thought, you know, I like those kind of all that kind of stuff. And I but at the same time, I really believe that's where God wanted me to be working. And so um, I realize I'm getting off on a story here, so I'll make it short. But and so, you know, I, I told him, I said, well, you know, God can I only need one. I only need, you know, it's not like I'm I'm looking for a whole bunch of wives or anything. One is one will do. And God, God can bring her to me right where I'm at. He said, yeah, but it doesn't always work that way. I said, well, it worked that way for Adam, right? <laughs> so anyways, anyway, we joke about it um, uh, with my uncle now. But just, just to see, seek God's kingdom first and all, all those other things he will, he will take care of. He'll take care of those. So... Really, the goal. Uh, so we went into training the New Tribes Mission. Um, again, just commended by our assembly to do that. I had been with CMML um, for a number of years. They're working at the orphanage in the Bahamas, and we probably would have just continued on if if it wasn't for the the need that we felt um, for the cross cultural and linguistics training to get further training in that, and also in um, Bible translation uh, type preparation, and so. Um, with that, and and as some some people know, I find that some people um, know and are aware of this, and others not so much. But actually, at the very beginning of New Tribes Mission, there was a number of brethren elders involved in the formation of of their doctrinal statement of their vision, and so they they actually really want to see a church established that has plurality of leadership, that you know that has the elders that that has a far greater focus on the Lord's Supper and its importance to the meeting. And they see the church very clearly as the people, not as a building. And they have that distinction made very clearly. Many of these type of things, they're, they're, they're dispensationalist. Many of these things that you would look for 
Um, and so we felt like there was just, and they really desire, they're, they're set up in such a way that they really desire to be under the authority of the sending church for the missionary, not, not, not above that. So they actually communicate and try to work closely with that. So we felt like it was of the Lord and, and a, good, a good fit. And their goal is really far more than just evangelism, right? Because evangelism is wonderful. Birth is wonderful. But what comes after birth? You've got, you've got to raise the child, right? Then it sets in for the long haul. And that's really discipleship. Is, is, you know, and so we see evangelism really as the first part of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And then we go on from them being saved and baptized to teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that's where the real goal here is, is by God's grace to see God raise up. We can't, we can't save anybody. We, we know that. We can't, in that sense, plant a church. We're trusting God to use us to do that work and that God would be glorified and would be pleased to raise up um, a church amongst the Bua Guarani that is going on to maturity, that has access to the Word of God in their own language, that uh, is functioning well as, as a healthy assembly should be, and also has a focus then on reaching the lost around them in their own tribe. And so really desiring to see that being left behind, if you will, sort of working our, working our way out of a job, if, so to speak, and really seeing that as the, as the desired uh, end goal, if you will. Um, so you can imagine the, the types of uh, really, I will say, work that's involved in that because not only are you looking to for them having the word of God in their language, they also probably need to have a good liter- literacy program if they're going to be able to read it. Right. And so what this implies is a lot, uh, you know, a long term, a really long term missionary uh, project in working with them. And so I would just mention uh, briefly that they do have people have asked now, has there been any translation work done for the Bua Guarani? The wonderful news is, is that, yes, yes, there has been Wycliffe Bible translators did a translation, a translator by the name of Bob Dooley finished it in 2005, a full Bible translation, Old Testament and New. He worked with the same tribe that we're working with, but in the Brazilian side. This is a big enough tribe. It spills over from Paraguay, the majority of them being in Paraguay, over to Brazil and down into Argentina. And so the, the only catch-22 is that the writing system that's used is what the Brazilian government assigned for the tribe. And it's different than what they use in Paraguay. So that we really need to have a bit of a revision done to make it useful in Paraguay. But still, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to estimate, but a, probably a project that would be looking at four or five years, uh, potentially longer, depending on um, dialectical issues and things like that. It could definitely take longer, as opposed to doing a full Bible translation from scratch, would take, which would t- normally take about 30 years. So we praise God for that. That's a wonderful a uh, wonderful blessing and should be down the road. So where's Paraguay? I guess I got ahead of myself a little. Y'all know where Paraguay is. Uh, right in the middle of South America. Right there. They like to call themselves the heart of South America because they're right in the middle there. And it's only about the size of the state of California. You know, so it's not a huge country. Um, Seven million people. <laughs> They're about the same distance below the equator as you guys are above the equator. So similar climbs, similar temps. They're landlocked, so they're not, their climate isn't moderated by the Atlantic Ocean like you guys have. So it does get colder in the winter and, you know, a, a balmy 115, 95% humidity in the summer. So, it, it, yeah, you know, that would be the worst of it. It usually doesn't get any, any worse than that, but that would be the... It can get to that for sure for a couple of weeks. And uh, so when we first got there, our, our focus was uh, learning Spanish. We, we couldn't say anything. I mean, we couldn't rub two Spanish words together. It was, it was disastrous. Um, but, you know, that's where you start. If you, don't have, if you don't know anything, you start from zero. 
And the good thing about starting from zero is you can't get any lower than that. <laughs> so, no, that was an intense uh, two and a half years that we were there in Asuncion, in the capital, working on learning Spanish and, and in studying Paraguayan culture as well. And during this time, we were involved in a really good Bible church in the capital. And so that was just a tremendous time of, of bonding, connecting with a group of local believers there who, who now we have, we feel really connected and a part of their lives. And so that's a huge, tremendous blessing, too. And going back to the country um, to know uh, personally quite a few of God's people there in the capital. And... Then, yeah, that was from 2010, 2012. A few pictures there. This looks a little random. I guess we've got, uh, like, their equivalent to the White House and a gecko crawling out of the drain. That's, that's maybe, you know, don't, don't, don't think about the, the collection there too much. That may be a, an insight into my scatterbrained mind. But moving on here. There we go. Um, so, yeah, and then from there we moved out and we started doing survey amongst the Buagwadani people because really not much survey had been done, and so that took quite a bit of time. And, um, you know, to do that and then to see a team formed and actually purchase land, then then to construct homes for the missionaries out there. Um, We've had, uh, in the past term, and we've been involved in all that kind of work, plus seeing a missionary family join the team and and, and leave for a a number of personal reasons and just uh, things things of that nature which uh, take take quite a bit of time and energy as well. Um, Just a little bit about the Bua people. You know, I like, I really love to share with God's people about the Bua because when you know more about them, I think people then are going to pray perhaps more uh, effectively for them. They're going to be able to uh, have a real sense of, at least in general, where the people are at and some of the struggles they're facing. And so um, the Bua are, are 20, 23,000 strong in Paraguay. Um, they're spread out. They're in about 14 of the 17 different communities, or not communities, I'm sorry, departments of Paraguay. So uh, they're really they're spread out all over the place. A large community would be 200 people. Most are smaller than that, anywhere from 50 to 200 people. So even finding a location where you would be able to have easy access to a good number of people was challenging just because the the way that they like to live so spread out and in smaller communities. And so, um, yeah, really with the Buddha, they... They've been one of the tribal groups in Paraguay that has hung on very strongly to their traditional way of life and their belief system. So not only their language, but their culture as well is something that they and their religion is something they have really hung on to. And I think part of that is because being a larger tribe, they're able to do that. They can work amongst themselves and whatnot. Uh, and part of it is because of racism in the country. There's definitely a lot of that between Paraguayan nationals and the tribal people. There's, not, you know, there's very little love lost there. Um, another thing is there's not a lot of job opportunity or even need for them to be mixing with the outside world. So the way that they conduct their lives is pretty much subsistence farming, hand to mouth. They used to be nomadic. But uh, the, the scene of the country is changing to the point where with big agribusinesses coming in, uh, huge um, you know, forests being turned into field, they're a lot of times on far, far smaller tracts of land and uh, far less resources. So their lifestyle is having to adapt and adjust to that. But as far as a, as far as a people goes, like I said, they're... Their belief system, their religion, if you will, um, is is very strong. Every community that I visited doing survey work had their shaman or or witch doctor, if you will, and and just the, to see the little bit that we've gotten to know the Bua people, the role that the shaman plays is huge. He literally is responsible for naming everyone in the village, and he gets those names from the spirits. And so if there's anything that's off in their life and that they're looking 
to to better their their situation in life. There's whether it's in regard to sickness or um, having more children. Let's say uh, you know in uh, you know, family disputes, whatever the case may be. They're, they're going to be looking a lot to the, to the shaman to give them direction. And so it's uh, they also have a very developed judicial system, actually, amongst them as a tribe. And so they keep law and order quite well amongst themselves. They have um, they're allowed to to even um, give punishments for different crimes all the way up until capital punishment. And that's where the Paraguayan government has drawn the line and said no. Uh, you know, that we're, we're not going to let you guys do that. But everything else they'll take care of um, within their tribe. And um, so you have that strong blah identity that they still really identify as, as the people. And it's interesting that they actually believe they're the original people on earth. And that they actually, they, they have a certain hill. They believe that that is the belly button of the earth. And that's, that's where the original people came out. And so actually the entire earth belongs to the Buddha. And any, anyone else who is there really should be, you know, using, using it with, you know, permission from, you know, from them, of course. So it's very interesting, very ethnocentric views. Um, there's a lot of struggle Amongst the the tribe, though, because while they're quite united religiously, they're very divided politically. They usually have two different chiefs, and this has happened in more recent years. I'll say going back about 20 years ago, they started to part of the tribe would was really rallying around uh, a very conservative. Uh, traditionalist view, if you will, of we're not going to mix with the outside world. Uh, we're, we're not going to buy things and use things that that the Paraguayans would. And we're going to maintain our, our life, you know, completely from the jungle, the way it's always been. And um, and really isolationist, if you will. And then you had this other group that formed that is you know, very progressive in their thinking. They want to, they're okay with mixing, maybe in some cases even marrying with an outsider, even though technically that's not accepted in their tradition. Um, learn, they'll be the ones who are more open to picking up Spanish, uh, to having the government come in and put in a school. Uh, also, the ones who would get into prostituting their kids and stuff like this. And so you see these tensions to the point of fights breaking out at times between these two factions within the tribe. Um, and so there's, there's turmoil. And, and a part of this is because they're really grappling. They're in a similar scenario as many tribal groups are around the world today. They're grappling with the changing landscape around them of the outside world in getting closer and closer, encroaching more and more, and they have to interact with it. It becomes inevitable that they have to kind of sort of live in that world too a little bit. And so this is where I'm going with this. Well, there's a lot of negative stuff that goes on as a result of these tensions. Many times, many times in talking with other missionaries, it's these tensions that start to cause a people group to not be so secure in what they've always believed and what they've always taken for granted that what is supposedly true that that they're taught by the shaman. And so it really, a lot of times, is a very unsettling times like this are a great open door for the gospel. And so that's what we're... We're trusting the Lord to use this in that way as well. And amongst the people that historically have been quite close to missionary effort. So here we see a, um, a picture there of the Opu, or the spirit house. And there's only one door, no windows. And it's, it's in that the spirit house there where the, the shaman... Um, will summon and, and speak with the spirits and they'll do all their chants and rituals and so forth. This picture up here is a very actual uncommon scene to see the Bua uh, using plastic and tarps kind of um, to cover up the old thatch roof. Most places you go, their houses are just completely built out of jungle materials. 
you'd think he had almost you know stepped into a National Geographic uh, scene in Papua New Guinea or something, which is quite odd because they're not really that far from civilization in many cases. So, at, so be praying for the Bua. Um, as you think of as you think of us, the Lord brings us to your mind, and and you want to pray for the people. Really, we would ask that you would you would pray that God would use this all this un, all these unsettling issues, this troublesome time for the people, to really cause them to consider at a deeper level. Is is what I've always accepted to be true really true, or is there another way? And that God would use these things to open them up to the gospel. So here's a few pictures just of station development. Uh, like I said, some of the activities we've been involved in, uh, you know, and just if I could skip all of this and we could go and, and skip all the language learning and we could just walk in there tomorrow and start sharing God's word with them. That's what I would love to do. You know, um, I was challenged by um, a fellow once. He said, well, well, why don't you just, um, you know, pray that God will give you the gift of tongues and then you, can, you don't even have to learn the language. I'm like, that's wonderful. Can you do that? Well, yeah, I do have the gift of tongues, but I'm not really sure I would be able to speak with them. Well, if you've got the gift and you can't do it, then I don't think whatever you've got is going to help. Because if I had it, I probably couldn't either, right? Hey, I'm you know if God wanted to give us the real gift of tongues like we see in scriptures, that would be awesome. I would love, <laughs> but we know that God has chosen in His sovereignty to uh, to give us the task of of doing the, doing a lot of this hard work, doing a lot of the a lot of the missionary life is not glorious and glamorous. It's doing just a lot of the the hard, dirty jobs day after day, and 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 even uh, language work. Some people, you know, they just absolutely love language. They're a linguist at heart. When we went through the training and we were going through the linguistic stuff, the professor said to me, because I was interested in taking like an advanced linguistics course. I don't know who I thought I was, but I, you know, I like, yeah, well, while we're in this, I might as well learn all I can. And he said to me, he said, Elijah, let me put it to you this way. Your, li- your wife is linguist and you're linguini. <laughs> so ling- linguini still has to learn language. So pray for linguini. <laughs> So back to, yeah, so here's house building. There we go. That looks better. We've got boards on the walls there. There's our, our house is the tan one. And uh, then the Australian family that's working with us is in the other house. Go ahead, Elisha. Here we're getting ready to leave the capital, packing up um, for the six-hour drive out to our place. And the last stretch is the fun part. If you, li- if you like mud running. It's about 60 miles of, of bad dirt road. When I run across potholes like this, it reminds me that I should slow down so that I don't end up in one. <laughs> we get those kind of washouts frequently because the, the roads are just, um, you know, they're just pushed around the topsoil essentially to make farm roads to get back into fields and stuff. So um, here we go. Another picture of the house. Looking off our back porch. In the morning, there's a storm rolling in. There's inside of our place. My sister-in-law came down. My brother and, and his wife came down and spent some time with us last April. That was a huge encouragement. So there's my sister-in-law, Sarah, helping Moira hang up the wash. And the, the clothesline is a cattle fence, if you're wondering about that. You know, when you have a thousand-foot-long cattle fence next door, it's very demotivating to actually put up a clothesline for your wife. Yeah, it just it works so well. There we go. There's the the river down back where we like to go. It's a great place. If you love to be bitten alive by mosquitoes, I would definitely recommend it. There, there, there's Israel's favorite picture, and I think you can see why. You guys, you guys have a million of those things around here, right? The iguanas and stuff, but the waterways and everything. I tell you. If the Bua people were here, they, you wouldn't have very many for very long. That's supper right there. Um, every once in a while, we get offered a little bush rat like this for a pet. You know, and usually the lion goes, you know, don't you want to buy it? It's so cute. Look at it. It's so fuzzy and all this. And then if you really, should, you know, you really are 
telling them no, no, you don't want to buy it. Then they use the harder sales tactics of, well, you know, if you don't if you don't buy this, uh, we're, we're going to cook it for supper. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, needless to say, we've been through quite a number of pets and don't have any at the present, which is a wonderful thing. On to the next. Show. There's, yeah, sugar apple. Okay, good. Here we go. That's if you were leaving our house. This is this is the walk we would take every day to get over to the community. We're walking a quarter of a mile stretch here across the soy field, and the building you see on the edge of the the jungle there is a school building where some of the kids go, and supposedly they get taught up to about maybe third grade level. And that's a little bit in the common Guadani and some in Spanish, kind of a mix. And that's been more of a recent thing the government's been trying to do with the people. So, yep, the bridges look a little interesting. A few pictures of the Bua. We don't ha- actually have a lot because they're pretty sensitive about getting their picture taken. They've uh, had some not, not, not such great experiences, shall we say, with anthropologists and whatnot in the past. And so we try to re- respect that. We do have a few. There's some kids there. There I'm helping a, a friend of mine put up his house. And, uh, you know, just a great, great opportunities to learn language, to learn about how they do things, their way of life, to show the love of Christ practically and to build friendships as we're as we were uh, in this language learning time. So he's showing me how to do that. There we go. There's his kitchen outside. Um, and that came out of the river down back. So, you know, if you can stand the mosquitoes, it just might pay off. And uh, we've got quite a few carp like that. And um, quite a number of you here, I believe, do get our emails and have been just tracking with us, praying with us. Uh, you know, we just want to definitely say thank you for that. Thank you so much. And for those two who have been, you know, giving financially so that we can be over there doing this full time. You know, thank you guys so much for that. We just really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for your prayers through some of the challenges we've been through, too. One of them was a a foot infection that my wife got. Um, It started out just as a small ant bite, but evidently that ant was carrying a pretty bad, fast, flesh-eating bacteria. And it has just happened overnight, and no kind of antibiotic we used would would stop it. So we we ended up going back into the capital and and um, and having to have all the dead flesh surgically removed and everything like that. So we do praise the Lord, though, that it was caught just in time. She could have easily had, you know, a foot or a part of the leg, her leg, amputated because of that. If it had gone even further, it could have cost her life. So we just. Praise the Lord for bringing us through that. That was quite an ordeal for her. Uh, just all the, um, even the just the medical treatment, you know, having to go back in every other day and have the the wound uh, scrubbed out and everything, and just it was just a, a long process of recovery for her too. And um, you know, the Lord brings uh, He brings hard things into our life for our good, doesn't He? Um, you know, there was gallbladder surgery for her later on that year, in and out of the hospital on that a number of times before that was actually done. Um, Israel had surgery that year, too. Like, we just couldn't leave the hospital. And he got his adenoids and tonsils taken out. He was a real trooper. And a number of people sent us this verse, Romans 10:15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And as a brother pointed out to me, that's, you know, is, is taken from Isaiah from a prophetic passage speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and how beautiful um, he is in bringing the good news to us. But I think here in Romans 10, we do see as well that that's speaking of those who follow in Christ's footsteps as well. And, you know, it really got us even thinking about this concept of beauty because in the world, there's this focus on external beauty, isn't there? Beauty is really measured skin deep. It's on the outside. And yet, with the Lord, what are the things that are beautiful to him? A broken and contrite spirit, right? Someone who trembles at his word. And, and so we, 
we're thankful for the, the hard things the Lord has brought. I just wanted to share a scripture that's been special to us as well in Psalm 66. Psalm 66, verse 8 says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. You know, and we know that the Lord's work in our lives as believers is to transform us. It's to make us more like Christ. It's that process of sanctification. And we know that the the road to that Includes a lot of suffering, just as the captain of our salvation was made perfect through sufferings, as it says in Hebrews. So it is for us. We see here, it's not because God is unkind. It's not because he doesn't care. He did all this for their good, as God does for us. He said in verse 10, for you, O God, have tested us. Not tempted. There's a big difference, isn't there? God does not tempt anyone with evil. He does test us. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. How is, how is, silver, how is silver tried? How is silver refined? You think of this analogy of refining precious metals, and it shows up in a number of places in the Psalms and Proverbs as well. And while I don't know much about it, I do know that you have to heat up the metal, right? You have to heat the metal up until all the dross and all, the, all that garbage, all the impurities... In the silver float to the top, and then the refiner scrapes it off and heats it back up all over again. And every time he allows it to cool, then he heats it up again. So each each time, and this is typically done seven was done seven times. And so we see that this analogy is what the Lord is using to really um, demonstrate the way the Lord perfects us, the way he works in our life to bring us to a greater walk of holiness. And, um, you know, I just wanted to encourage all of you guys with that, too, because we know it doesn't just apply to us. You don't have to be, uh, you know, down in Paraguay or, or half around the world somewhere to go through hard things. We know we've talked to the number of you guys here and, and heard even some of the challenges that God has brought in your own life. And be encouraged because he has your best at heart. He wants to purify you. He wants, he wants you to enter into, should I say, the purity that is yours in Christ already. Right? We are cleansed from every sin. We are, we are seated right now with Christ in the heavenlies as believers. And so this process of sanctification is not attaining because Christ has attained everything good and righteous and holy and perfect for us. It's us entering in to what is ours in Christ. And the Lord does this. He helps us to enter in and take possession of the wonderful, uh, wonderful future that he has for us in becoming more like Christ through often through suffering and through hard trials and that is beautiful to the lord it's a beautiful thing the beauty the beauty of those who take the gospel surely is the beauty of of all that is implied in bringing the gospel as well everything that was implied for christ right what was what was his life but a life He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And it's not because he was overwhelmed by sin. He was never defeated by sin. But he was saddened continually by its presence. And and it it was a grievous way that he had. And so, not to be surprised, not to be 
overwhelmed and overcome when the Lord brings us through times of testing, knowing that it is, as our brother prayed earlier, it is for our good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose, we know that he works all things together for good. And we don't we do not have to ask God why when we do that, we're we're going down the wrong track. We're going down the wrong track now. Now, that why question is bring into doubt God's character as though he could err or he could go wrong. We don't have to ask God why. And, you know, I love the story of Job where everything is taken away from Job. And, and he says, naked was I when I was born. And, and you know, and naked came I into the world. And he says, that's how I'm going to go too. the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had this concept very clearly in his mind. He understood that everything that he had was not his. It wasn't his anyways. How can you lose something that is not yours? You can't. See, the thing is, we think that a lot of things are ours that aren't. And then we get upset at God if he takes them away because they're mine, but they're not mine. Even my very life. And you know, this is, this is the kind of thing that the Lord wants to work in us, right? He wants, these are the beautiful things. He makes all things beautiful in his time. And this is the beauty the Lord wants to work in us. He wants our minds to be renewed. He wants our minds to be transformed and, and thinking in a way that we're viewing reality, we're interpreting the reality around us with the only right interpretation. We're seeing things the way God does. Anything else is a lie. Any other perspective is a lie. And so the more my mind is being conformed to His, then I really can walk in the life of Christ that is mine. And I really can be the heart and the hands and the feet in the mind of Christ to others around me, which is our calling. I'll go ahead and introduce you to our team here. There's the Salguero family, Ronnie and Meli and their two little girls. And on the other side, there on the right, is Mauricio and Michelle and their two kids. And they're from Australia. So we have a, the Latin family, that I introduced first. Ronnie is Bolivian, married to a Paraguayan. And so they don't speak English, so the, the language of our team actually is Spanish. And that's been stretching, to say the least, for us, but it's been a wonderful thing. It's been a, it's a very good thing. They actually lived with us four months last year uh, in our house while we were working on building theirs together. And so you want to know if I, get to know somebody really well? Invite them over to your house for four months. That's a great way to do it. No, we're just really blessed to have them on the team. They've been a huge encouragement to us. And um, so, yeah, there's the team there. There's a picture uh, next to a bunch of Buddha. That's kind of the guy on next to me there. That's about as tall as the guys get. Uh, so I do sort of feel like a giant there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, their nickname for me in Guarani is um, Puku because Puku means long one. So, yeah. Um, I'll just end with this here. Thank you guys for bearing with me. I realize I'm going over a little bit. But um, let's just read this together. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Great question, isn't it? This is God's logic for you here, by the way. I don't know about you, but has, ever, has anyone ever asked you a series of questions? And somewhere in that series of questions, you're like, you know what? I'm not really sure I agree with your, your train of thought, like where you're going with all of these. But the wonderful thing when we read God's word, we don't ever have to, we don't ever have to wonder that. God's, God's logic is perfect. And so he's, he's, he's laying this out to us in a perfect way. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so we just, uh, again, want to thank the Lord for the privilege that the Lord has given us of being a part in bringing the wonderful news of the gospel to a people who, who do not hear, who do not understand. And realizing that in that part, there are many, many believers who are sending us, who are, who are working together with us, laboring in prayer, you know, giving so that we can be there, writing to us, encouraging us, and you know, just, just caring for us when we come back to the States here. It's just been very encouraging to spend time with God's people and um, to just to be built up and edified by the body of Christ being back. And we're really thankful for you guys. Thank, thank you for uh, taking the time to get to know us and encourage us. Uh, thank you for just uh, the way that you guys have um, stood with us over these years. And we're, we'll trust God together for what he'll do in the future. Amen? Amen. Okay. So thank you guys so much. I don't know what's next, if we have time for a few questions, or we could do that afterwards and just talking and, and mixing with one another. What are your thoughts on that, uh, Dave? Okay. All right. Yes. Elijah, when are you all planning to go back? That's a wonderful question. You know, it's the real simple things that I usually don't include. <laughs> um, May 6th. Thank you. Yes. Um, so coming right up, just around the corner, flying out of Miami uh, back to back to Paraguay. And um, people have asked, too, well, do you have to come back at a certain time or do you have to be over there for so many years before you can come back? It's it's not it's not that way. We have liberty to come back. It's, you know, as as we need to. It's just. We one we don't want to be gone from the work too long and or too frequently either, and so so far it's been you know every three years or so that we've come back for about six months. So um, all that to say, I'm not exactly sure when we'll be back next, but three or four years, give or take, somewhere in there, yeah. in the will of the Lord. <laughs> the Lord doesn't come back first. Yes. Which people typically live off of there, like for a month, or does it take somebody to live? Um, somebody as far as the Bua or like the tribal people, Paraguayan nationals. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of that's a great question. A lot of Paraguayan nationals would don't really have a full time job either. I'm talking about like the country people out in our area that are not the tri- part of the tribal group. Um, but they would if they did get a job or they did you know work at doing something, it would be uh, right around minimum. Wage, which would be about four hundred, three to four hundred dollars a month. Yeah, they did have employment. There's a there's a massive, massive glut of, you know, in in the labor market there. So there's there's always way more people that want even the lowest paying jobs than, you know, than jobs that are available. So so most most of the people in the country they would they would plant their own gardens they would have their own cows and chickens and you know be quite industrious that way as far as that's how they would really make ends meet yeah what is MBYA oh <laughs> oh this is fun I like this question <laughs> yeah, Bua the MBYA is you just all you have to do is say Bua and uh, and that's that so. Um, yeah, it took me forever to learn how to say it myself. So it's the tribe. Yes. Yeah. I thought you were asking, how do we say that? But um, yeah, the Bua Guarani, there's a larger Guarani family. So there's a number of different tribes in South America that have that speak dialects of the Guarani language. So the Bua Guarani are one of those particular groups that have their own dialect. And their dialect is so strong that some linguists actually consider it to be a separate language because it, it borders you know, on those definitions of what's a dialect and a language difference. 
So the Buya Guarani are a tribal group amongst the Guarani tribes of South America. Great question. If growing up and moving out, a lot of them, they are very mobile amongst themselves. So a lot of times you know, have somebody grow up in a particular community and then they'll go to one of the other 240 plus communities in the country looking for a wife, a better life, but it is pretty much amongst their own people. Yeah. Yes. Great, great question. Um, they have been open to us. They've been receptive in general of our desire to learn their language. Not at first. Initially, it was pretty slow going. Uh, during the past few years, with all the house building, the health issues, survey work, dealing with land stuff, and all these other things, we did try to get into full-time language study a number of times. And so we actually didn't make that much progress as far as learning language due to these other things. But um, there's a number of reasons why they would be very cold to sharing their language with a foreigner. And this would mean even a, a, an average local Paraguayan. One is because spiritually, part of their law actually prohibits them from sharing their language with outsiders. So those who are going to be more you know, legalistic, as far as very you know, strictly observant, I should say, uh, are, are going to give you the answer if you ask, well, how do you say um, you know, cow in your language? Or just some simple question that you know that they would, they would have the answer for. They would probably say, well, um, I don't know. You would have to ask the chief. So we got a lot of that for the first four months or so that we were... Uh, you know, really trying to work on, on the language before the whole foot infection, everything like that. Um, they've started to warm up now. We've been there close by the community. We, you know, we've been over, we're over there all the time. They're over at our place. Um, there was a real kind of a moment of breakthrough on this thing of sharing their language. When, when one, I have... Very, there's very little in writing in their language, but since the government assigned an alphabet, there was an, an anthropologist who years ago put a very brief dictionary together, and I had a copy of that. And so I finally told one of the guys, I said, look, I have your words, I have your language in this book. So, you, you know, you don't, you would, you're not giving me anything. I just want to know how to say it right. And, you know, I tried to do my best at flipping through the dictionary and sort of randomly reading words, and he could tell that I was, you know, horribly butchering the pronunciation. And as I see, I, I'm going to be speaking your language anyways, and do you want me to speak it like that? And he's like, oh, you do need some help. You know, and so from there on, we had, there were some people who started to, to be a little bit more helpful, and I don't know if they're sort of bending the rules for us or what the deal is, but, but we do have some who regularly come to help. Like the other two missionary families that are there do have language helpers that regularly come to the house and work with them on that. Of course, they try to spend quite a bit of time with the people in the community as well. So there's some, the friendship thing is really starting to take, starting to take off there, more so with some than others, but just after time. And, and again, doing things like taking their people to the clinic when they're sick and that, you know, that sort of thing really has gone to show that we really do have their best in mind, you know. So praise the Lord for that. Yes. So, Elijah, to your knowledge, there has not been one convert yet in this tribe. Uh, I, I would not say that. I actually think there probably have been several people who have gotten saved through other missionary endeavors. Okay. Um, we have, in, in all of our survey and in and, and talking with, yeah, just doing all that investigation on the tribe and what has been done with them, I don't, I don't believe there's actually a, a church functioning or established there amongst the people, though. Um, a few baby Christians in a couple places, maybe. Yeah, probably. In, on the Brazilian side, where the, where the Wycliffe Bible Translator did the translation work, I do believe there is, in Brazil, there's probably a small church there. Um, because of the border, because of the distance, it, that that they're not really traveling back and forth and as far as an impact or 
So down the road, down the road, that's something we would like to investigate and actually go over, meet uh, with those people and find out even potentially how they could be involved in, in the work. So that's, uh, that's a great question. That's a real good question, yeah. So, uh-huh. Perhaps we could uh, pray for you all. Sure. Okay. Wonderful. Good. We do have a, a notebook on the back there, the old-fashioned kind that doesn't take batteries. And you can, you can write down your email if you'd like to get our email updates. They're usually, you know, every uh, four to six weeks or so we get one of those out. And um, probably some prayer cards back there too, I think. So go ahead and help yourself to those. We want to say thank you for the example of our